Well, it's my privilege to introduce to you uh, Pam Smirkel, who's our Christian principal of our Christian school and our superintendent of our homeschooler division. So Pam, why don't you come and introduce all of the teachers and uh, tell us a little bit about the Christian school. Awesome. One of the... One of Okay, good. I got it wrong the first service and the second. Come on up, everyone. So it is my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce to you our staff this year. For those of you who aren't familiar with our school, we have a school uh, with 66 students as well as 1,900 homeschoolers. And so our homeschooling staff aren't here. This is just our professional staff for our in-house school. So I'm going to introduce those, and then we'll invite... Uh, Doug and Kathy up to pray for our school year and staff. So we'll start off with Mrs. Siemens. She is our uh, administrative secretary for our school, and without her, we probably wouldn't. There's lots of missing caps. <laughs> we have three educational assistants. We have Mrs. Ioannidis, who works with our little ones, kindergarten to grade four. We have Mrs. Fedyasenko, who works with our older students in grades five through eight, and then missing as well as Miss Frazier, who works on Fridays with us to do supports for specialized services. We also have a learning leader this year, Mr. Cole Barker, and he is working with our social studies classes, phys ed and technology classes, and he partners with Miss Benson, who is our senior learning center teacher. She teaches grades six, seven, and eight, and Ms. Benson does most of our physical education classes. Missing on stage is Mrs. Lutz, new to our staff, and she is our grade four, three, four, four, five, four, five teacher, oh my, and social studies teacher with Mr. Barker. We have also a new to staff, Mrs. Augustine, who is our grade one and a little bit of grade two teacher. And we have Mrs. Bills, who is our grade two, three teacher, a little bit of four, and all our drama and music program. So we are just so excited for the school year ahead and just taking this beautiful opportunity to pray for our team and our school year. Um, so we were here in the first service and prayed, and when I sat down after praying, you know, the Lord just dropped a little dollop of excitement in my spirit, and I really believe this is going to be a great year. So we're going to pray for that. So, Father, thank you. Your spirit is excited, and I pray that that same spirit would just be put in to the children, to the staff. Lord, that there would be a sense of anticipation for a wonderful year. And so, Father, I just lift up everybody on stage and those who aren't present right now, Father, that there would be a sense of unity and togetherness and excitement. And Father, I just pray for your hand of blessing to be upon the school and the students and the staff. And Lord, for a hedge of protection, Lord, that no sickness would be allowed to penetrate the walls of this building. Father, we pray for financial blessing. Lord, we pray for creativity. And Lord, just for your goodness to be evident upon this school and staff, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was a blathering idiot in the first service, so I'll try to get through this without it. Uh, the school is very near and dear to, to our hearts, so the Bible says, start children off on the way they should go, and, we, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So, our family is a testimony to the school, to the church, to God and his grace. If anyone knows our five children, they all love and serve the Lord. And it's because of God's grace, my beautiful wife, this church and this school. It's so important that our children have a foundation, a foundation that they can be built on that when they are released into this world they have the ability to know what is true what is holy what is good and if you put a bowl of cheerios in front of kids 
and a bowl of whole grain cereal, they're going to take the Cheerios. Yet, Cheerios will rob your body. There's nothing nutritious about them. We want the whole grain. We want our children to have foundations that are built on the Lord. That's what we have here. Children are a blessing. They're given to us as a blessing. We need to build them up. We need the church. We need the school. We need our parents. So I just want to pray that for our families. Father, we just thank you for this amazing staff, Lord, that love, love, love the children, Lord God. And they want to pour your spirit out upon them. We pray for wisdom. We pray for guidance. We pray that you give them the keys to the heart of each and every child that enters into those rooms, Lord God, that they will be unlocked to love you, to serve you, to be mighty warriors yielded in your hands, Lord God. We just pray protection and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to, yeah, thank you. I forgot someone. We also have Mrs. Akers who does our kindergarten art program, so I apologize, Mrs. Akers. Yeah, thank you all. Awesome. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, uh, how many were able to participate in Walk for Water yesterday? There was about 70 of us that got drowned. It was awesome. And uh, I tried to sell my umbrella, but I wouldn't go below 500 bucks and nobody was taken. And then, and then after about eight minutes of walking in the absolute pouring rain. It didn't matter if you had an umbrella or not. Anyway, so my opportunity was gone and to raise funds for Walk for Water. So we do just uh, want to challenge you to continue to give and support that Walk for Water. We want to hit that goal of $10,000. We'll let you know where we are next week. And uh, we'll just believe in God that we're going to be able to plant two wells uh, in Mozambique, with a school of 500 kids to do a well there and also in their training center. So it's just very exciting that we can be part of this. How many know that's uh, something we get to do? It's a benefit and joy and delight of our church family to help bring fresh, clean water to other parts of the world. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to do something um, don't always do. But many of you know Deb Turner. Deb works at times. She volunteers in the front office of our church. And Deb has had some very serious health concerns and is hospitalized right now. And so before I even begin this service, I just want us all to believe for God to touch Deb's body and to raise her up. Amen? And so you may say, well, I don't know her. But you know what? She's a child of God. She loves the Lord. She serves this church family faithfully. And we're just going to believe. So why don't we just all just bow our heads and pray right now for Deb. So, Father, we just thank you so much for Deb, Lord. We love her, Lord Jesus. We ask you, Father, to dispatch your angels to touch and minister to her, Lord God. Thank you for the people that are surrounding her and encouraging her. But, Lord, she needs a touch from heaven. She needs a miracle of God. I pray that by your stripes, Lord Jesus, we have been healed. And I pray, Lord God, that we would remember to forget not all our benefits, but to know and remember that you heal our diseases, Lord God, and you forgive our sins. I bless Deb right now, Jesus, in your holy name. Raise her up, Lord. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, we've been talking about the heart of worship. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg Fraser. I haven't been here preaching for six weeks, so I feel like I need to reintroduce myself to the church family. Uh, I've been away preaching in a few different places and also on holidays, so it's wonderful to be back. And I am a pastor in this church, in case you were wondering. Um, What happened to that guy? Wasn't there another guy? Yeah, here he is. Uh, We're talking about worship, this, this whole series we've been talking about, it's called The Reset, and it's rediscovering worship. The word reset means to move back into our original position. Well, what's our original position? That's kind of the primary question you should ask. 
And some great theologians uh, way back when came up with this thing called the Westminster Confession. And the Westminster Confession said this is the chief end of mankind. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our chief end. Our chief end is to worship God, church. You were created to worship, to love God. That's why you're here. That's why you exist. That's the, why every man, every woman exists, is to come into this relationship with the living God and to worship Him and love Him. And so we say to ourselves, if you're like me, I'm a little bit of a cynic sometimes, um, <coughs> excuse me, is God so self-centered and egocentric that He needs me to worship Him? You know, like, what's up, God? Like, wow, that's kind of my chief end, to worship you. And when we begin to understand something, it's actually the opposite of what we think. God is actually not egocentric. He's the exact opposite of that. But in worshiping God, it doesn't change God's attitude toward me. It changes my attitude toward Him. And so worship is this great reset that resets your life and my life. And you need to understand something. Um, you know, we, we, all, we all get that we're created in the image of God. This is where mankind started. We're created in the image of God. Each one of us is an image bearer. We, we, you know, we, we're created with that incredible identity of being uh, God's children. We all had this incredible relationship with God. And uh, we were created for an intimacy with Him. And we were created with an incredible purpose. And that purpose was to take dominion over ourselves for the sake and the service of others. And so this was mankind's beginning. This was our, our heady beginning. We, we had this elevated place before God, God's greatest creation. And you're like, wow, wow, wow. And of course, we know this thing called sin and our own choices came in. And all of a sudden, everything started to derail. This is why we need to reset. Remember, our, our image became marred. And what we were created to be is kind of like a little bit broken and disjointed from where it was intended to be. Our relationships, church, became threadbare. And, and, and really became stretched and, and we began to hide from one another and, and really not understand one another. And so then also our purpose became completely misguided. Rather than taking a dominion over myself for the sake and the service of others, mankind began to try and take dominion over others for their own sake. And so this is the world in which we live now. Sin has created this. And so God calls us in the midst of this to the great reset. Does that make sense? And the great reset is to come back to what we were intended to be always. And so the great reset comes in order to take my life and your life and begin to, to twist and bring those things back into alignment with God's purposes you see, worshiping God is the starting place for seeing our image restored, our relationships repaired, and our purpose redirected. This is God's heart. Well, how is that possible? How does worshiping God change us? Well, let's pray and find out what that means. Amen? So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we know that you come to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, to know the hope to which you have called us and to know the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus and to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the power of the resurrection, the power that comes to change our dead, broken areas of our life and to renew them and to restore them to what they were always intended to be. Bless your word now to us, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to teach us. Amen. And amen. Well, we're going to start our understanding of the heart of worship from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Well, the heart of worship invites us to come to God just as we are. Our text celebrated that. It said it this way, whenever we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away, and all we who with unveiled faces begin to contemplate the Lord's glory. So this is kind of the first step. If you want to walk in the heart of worship, you need to understand that the heart of worship is God says to each one of us, come just as you are. Now, you have to get the context of this scripture. It's telling a story of Moses. And Moses, when he first came, he brought the law of God. And when Moses came down, the Ten Commandments, he brought that before mankind. And unfortunately, the glory of God being revealed through the law began to condemn us because how far we fell short. And so Moses would go and stand in the presence of God and he would come out and he would literally be radiating the glory of God because he was in God's presence. He began to reflect that. And so people would stay away and say, Moses, you talk to God. Tell us what he said because we can't stand to look at him. And, And the reason for that is because glory reveals And so glory would reveal all these different areas of our lives. Glory was revealing where our marred image was exposed. It was exposed. It was revealing where our broken relationships with God, self, and others were uncovered. It was revealing where we were selfish and self-centered. And so understand this. Adam and Eve, remember when they originally walked with God, everything was good. They were uncovered and everything was wonderful. And then sin entered the picture and they covered covered and they hid from God and they hid from one another. And so understand the history of the Israelites was this, un- this coming to God and like, oh my goodness, how can we worship God? We fall so far short of his glory and his goodness and his love. And so Moses would come out from the presence of God and he would radiate the glory of God And they would tell him, I mean, literally, Moses had to put a bag over his head so they couldn't see God's glory reflecting off of him. So this is the context. And I'm going to tell you, the Israelites, for much of the nation's history, kind of stood at a distance from God. And we know that Adam and Eve stood at a distance from God. They said, God, you know, they hid from him, hid from one another. And I'm going to tell you, many Christians today still stand at a distance from God because they don't understand that God has invited them just as they are to come into worship and to know him. This is why our text told us to turn. It tells us to turn your eyes upon God. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And that word means turn, take a 180, that, you know, change your thinking, change what you've been thinking about and understand you've been invited to turn to the Lord. And so when Greg Fraser comes into the presence of God, God says to him, Greg, turn fully toward me. Don't turn partially toward me. Bring every part of you into my presence. Now, why is that important to understand? Well, because parts of Greg Fraser are not that good. I'm not fully healed yet. I'm not fully, you know, I'm not fully transformed. I've not been fully reset by the power and the presence of God. And so the temptation for Greg Fraser is that when he comes into the presence of God is to hide, to cover, to justify, to blame, to take the eyes off himself. But God wants us to know the heart of worship is to come fully and completely just as we are. Let me read to you a passage from Romans 8. It's not going to come on the screen, but this is in the Message Bible, verses 5 to 8. Those who think they can live this life on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscles but never get around to expressing it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. 
Attention to God leads us into open and into a spacious, free life. Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. Isn't that our temptation at times, though, in worship, in coming to God, that we can feel, thank you. You know, I did need that. I just drank two right before worship, but apparently I need number three. Here we go. The good news for you is I have to run to the washroom soon, so we have to make this a quick service, so it's all good. (laughs) Ah, refreshing presence of the Lord, amen? And water. So guys, here we are. How can we turn to God? How can I, Greg Fraser turn to God when he's not fully there yet? When all this stuff is not there? We need to start, and we're going to get there in a moment. We need to start to understand that in bringing myself fully and completely before the Lord, I'm actually bringing every aspect of me. Let me give it to you from another direction here. The great commandment in the Bible, which is in two of the Gospels, and Jesus inferred it in a third position in the Gospel. The great commandment says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you'll fulfill all the law and the prophets are found in these two commandments. And so you make, well, how can I bring all of it when some of it's not good? Well, it's even, it's even deeper than we think. Dallas Willard explains what this verse is meaning by talking about six different things that it's talking about. Number one is in our thoughts, our images, our concepts, our judgments, our references. Now, let me ask you a question. When you worship God, do you ever think about what you're thinking about? Because sometimes when I'm worshiping God, I'm not thinking about God. Anybody else ever been there? Like, even today, maybe? You know, when you're singing about a heart of worship and you're thinking, thinking about lunch. <laughs> I know, sometimes it happens, and I'm thinking, man, I hope I get out in time to get some of them fresh carrots, because I'd really like some today. Sometimes we get, you understand, our thoughts kind of stray at times. How about our feelings, the sensations, our emotions, our choices, our will, our decision, our character? That's the heart issue of, of things. You know, do you, do you ever go to, like, you ever come into worship and you're like, you're just standing there and you're like, well, I'm not going to move unless God moves me? Okay. That's like going to a hockey game, cheering for the Oilers, and then, I'm just not going to do anything unless I feel like it. You know, you got to be crazy when you're at the Oilers game. They need all the help they can get, amen? You just got to, you know, paint your torso blue and orange and uh, celebrate and go for it. So we, we coming into all these things. How about our body, our actions and our interactions with the physical world? How about our social context? Do you know when he said, he said that you're to, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know that worship can be social as much as it's personal? Have anybody ever experienced that where you're worshiping and then you look up and you see somebody else worshiping and it's like, what does it do to you? It encourages me to worship. Anybody ever been there? Like, I, you know, sometimes when I'm watching the worshipers on stage, and I'll, I, William's really good for this. William, I think you're here today. I don't know if you are. There you are. Are you here? Yeah, you're here. William. William just comes out of his skin worshiping. I love it when he's on stage worshiping because I can't help but worship when I watch him worship. Amen? So, you, amen. So thank you, William. And thank you, worship team, when you worship, because it compels us to worship. 
And, and, and that's part of worship is a social thing. When people come into this church, they should experience a body of people that are kind of doing something. You're like, why are they raising their hands? Why are their eyes closed? What do they see that I don't see? Well, they see a king and a kingdom that is worthy to be praised. So come with all your thoughts, all your emotions, all your interactions with others, your choices you make, your physical body, you're able to worship God. How am I able to do that, Pastor Greg, when those areas are not transformed yet? Thank God for the second part of this. The heart of worship is to get our eyes off ourselves and onto God. This is what our text told us. And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, so Greg Fraser, his, all his thoughts are not fully, fully there. You know, every part of him is not fully submitted to Christ yet. You know, my social context, I still have relational strains at times. How can I bring all of that into the presence of God? And the text tells us, you know, get your eyes, contemplate the Lord's glory. If you want to be a worshiper, it's not about your worth. It's about Christ's worth. It's not about that you qualify. It's the fact that you have been qualified by Christ, not by your actions or lack thereof. Let me explain it to you this way. Greg Fraser has a marred identity, but the Word of God says, Ha ha! I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. You see, God has... Everything I do now, church, is because I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, he has qualified me to worship, even though there are parts of me that are still broken. Even though there are parts of me that have not been made fully alive in him yet, he says, come just as you are. You're a new creation before God. You see... My, the devil will bring up my broken relationships, but God brings up that I have been made new in Christ and I've been adopted into the family of God. That I'm actually adopted by God, brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And guess what? The invitation is to every single person in the world. To those who believed him, who called upon his name, who come to know him, he gave the right to become children of God. So every person I meet has been invited to enter into the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so therefore I can worship. Even though all my relationships are not fully intact, there are times when I have to bring my broken relationships. Has anybody ever worshipped doing that? Going, oh God, forgive me, I had a fight with my wife on the way here. God, I, I, I'm not going to stop. I watch you sometimes. And I can tell the devil's speaking to you. Or you're thinking to yourself. You're worshiping. It's a heart of worship. And then all of a sudden your hands go down. You look around and you think, did anybody else see what I'm thinking right now? <laughs> Do you understand? Something comes up. You're, something's brought up. And you're like, oh, I, I'm not worthy to worship. It's a lie. You're not, you'll never be worthy to worship by how good you are. You are worthy to worship by how good Christ is. That's why you can worship you guys. You've been brought into a new relationship. You're a new creation. Your identity is being reformed. That marred, broken identity is being changed. A new relationship with God. And by the way, he's given you a new purpose. You might think, well, my purpose is derailed. I'm really not living the life I should be living. But you know what God would say? You're not a, you're not, you're not a baker. You're not a candlestick maker. You are an ambassador of Christ. Church, you're not a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Your primary job is to be an ambassador to Jesus Christ. That God is making his appeal through you to the world to say, if I can save this guy, I can save anybody. <laughs> you qualify to worship because of what Christ has done. Amen? 
So when you come into the house of the Lord and they're playing a song, you know what? It's like, it's like boom. You don't, don't be a big jumbo jet that takes a while to rumble down there. Oh, if they like the song, okay. No, be a hairier jet. Go! Woo! I can worship God full on because of what Jesus Christ has done. The heart of worship is to stop looking at yourself and where you fall short and look to Jesus. Amen? Because when we're in Christ, we're free. That's what it said. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're accepted, we're secure, we're significant, we're safe, even when he reveals areas that he still wants to change within us. If we were still under the law, we couldn't risk an unveiling. If we were still under the law like Moses and the Israelites, we couldn't risk an uncovering. But because I'm in Christ, I can come uncovered, church. I can turn away from looking at myself, and I can look to Christ, and I can begin to celebrate Jesus Christ in every area of my life. You see, it's all about him. See, in order to be transformed, church, why is worship so important? Why is it so critical? Why, is it, why are you talking about this, Pastor Greg? Well, according to the text I just read to you, you cannot be changed outside of seeing the glory of God. You need to see Jesus every day of your life. And if your religion is just constantly looking at yourself, trying to improve yourself, you've missed the whole point. The heart of worship is look at God. Look at how good he has been to you, how merciful, how kind, because you need to be changed. You see, the most radioactive substance in the world, and I've said this before in church, the most radioactive substance in the world is Jesus Christ. And he radiates the glory of God. So when I see him, I am changed into his image. That's why worship is about seeing Jesus. The heart of worship, it's all about him. It's all about him. And, and you know how radioactivity works. If you put a piece of radioactive material next to you, it will begin to infuse every cell of your body. It will begin to transform you into its image. So the closer Greg Fraser gets to Jesus, the more he is changed into the image of God. The more he is reset back to his original intended position. A child of God. An image bearer. One who reflects the glory of the Lord. Wow. Amen? Come on. Somebody get excited. Thank you. I will preach it. I will thank you now that you've said that. I will. Keep going. So here's the thing. Greg Fraser comes and how can that be, Pastor Greg? You come into the presence of God. You're not fully, you know, you're not fully perfect yet. But here's the thing. Part of Greg Fraser's worship is that he comes knowing that God and God alone can change him from all the brokenness in him and set him free. That's it. It's not about earning anything. It's not about a religion. I've earned this. It's not about, oh, I'm going to raise my hands, God, then maybe you'll be happy with me. No, 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 no. I raise my hands because God is already happy with me. He picked me. I wouldn't have picked me. <laughs> but God did. And he picked you. So get your eyes off yourself. Amen? And part of bringing your brokenness in worship to God, here's the beautiful thing. Why that's an offering before the Lord, it's actually saying, God, I'm so thankful because you're the only one that can change my heart. The broken parts of me can only be changed as I behold your glory. It can't be changed by my religious efforts. By the way, stop trying to change your spouse. <laughs> but you don't know how bad my, I get it. 
But listen, bring your spouse before the Lord as an offering. Maybe it's a burnt offering. You're saying, Lord, <laughs> you are not done the work yet. More fire, God. It's all reciprocal. It'll come back on you. So be merciful is all I'm going to tell you. So here we are. We're called to contemplate. We bring our brokenness before God as an offering. That's really what we need to do. You see, the church needs to sustain the vision of God. I told our staff this year, our vision for the year, this is our vision for the year. By the way, I cleared out the front row. And the reason I cleared out the front row is we need more altar space. Because the altar is a time when you need to respond to the Lord and say, God, you've ministered to me today. I need to come in worship and respond before you. So I'm in faith, I've built an altar for you. In the first service, people came to the altar. Just saying, if you're really spiritual, no, 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 you do whatever God leads you to do. Okay, now, I want you to understand how important it is to see God, you guys. I told the staff, our whole ministry this year has to flow out of a sustained vision of God. We can't do ministry by saying, we need to do worship better. We need to do kids' ministry better. We need to do five loaves better. Do you know how you do five loaves better and worship better and kids' ministry better? You look to Jesus. And if you see him more clearly and more beautifully and more perfectly, the flow will come out of you. Ministry has to flow out of a sustained vision of Jesus. Do you know why the church, the Old Testament priests, every week when they would gather in the synagogue would pray this prayer? I want you to listen to the prayer and I want you to understand what they're praying. This was the prayer they prayed every week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious toward you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Do you know why they're praying that prayer? Because they're saying, Israelites, you need to see the face of God. It's the most important thing you're going to see. And why you come to church every week, why you come and gather with the saints, is why you worship, why you enter in. It's a moment of you resetting your thinking. I've got to get my eyes off myself and onto the living God, the only one that can change me. I need to see him. That's why I prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer at the beginning of the service. I prayed from Ephesians 1, 17 to 20. And I prayed this prayer over my children every year, every day of their lives. For years and years, I prayed this prayer. God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they might know you better. That they might know the hope to which you have called them, God. That they might know the glorious inheritance that is theirs in Christ Jesus. And they might know the incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the power of the resurrection. Taking the dead parts of Greg Fraser and resurrecting it into the newness of life in Christ. Church worship is so critical. It's so important that you turn your eyes to Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself. It's why our first value as a church is to celebrate Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. We tell people the church exists to help people find their way home to God and then to live as disciples who care. And the word care, the first word is celebrate. Celebrate Jesus Christ in every area of your life. The word celebrate there means worship. Worship Jesus Christ over your family. Worship Jesus Christ in your marriage. 
Worship Jesus Christ in your workplace. Worship Jesus Christ in your church family. Worship Jesus Christ in your neighborhood. Worship Jesus Christ as you contemplate and think about the transformation that needs to happen in Canada in order to save this nation. Don't look to government to save this nation. Look to the living God to save this nation. But we have to turn our hearts toward him, don't we? It's our job. It's our job. I love this thought. Worship doesn't change God and his attitude toward us. It changes us and our attitude toward him. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about me. It's all about me, Jesus. No, it's not. It's all about him. Amen? Amen. Here's the last thought. Don't worry, it's not a quick thought, so just don't get excited too much yet, but here's the thought. The heart of worship is an act of faith. Worship is an act of faith. Why? (laughs) Well, faith is being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I cannot see. See, when I start in my life of worship, I see Greg, and Greg falls short. And so therefore, I need to worship in faith and start to see something that I can't see outside of turning the eyes of my heart toward the living God and off of myself. That's why Hebrews 11 says this, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished their ancestors and set them above the crowd. So let's put this together. I'm called, the heart of worship calls me to, to first and foremost come just as I am, fully, completely, every part of my mind, body, soul, every part of me, even the parts that are not perfect yet, and I bring them as a sacrifice before the Lord, and I get my eyes off myself, and I get them on to God. That's the second thing of the heart of worship. And the third thing about the heart of worship is it always requires faith. It always requires trying to see and imagine and take my godly imagination and visualize Jesus, the words of the songs, painting a picture in my spirit, in my heart, so that I can see the living God, because in seeing him, I am going to be changed. But you see, there's so much parts of you. (laughs) That's what it involves. You know, the word worship, the most common translated word for worship in the Bible simply means this. To lay oneself before God. It means every part of you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) All of it. You can bring the ugly and make it worship God. Why? Because I know he can change the ugly into the beautiful. He can raise beauty from ashes. Hallelujah. You see, our bodies are meant to worship God, church, with our words, our singing, our speaking, our shouting, with our posture, our standing, our bowing, our laying prostrate. All these are scriptures I'm quoting. With our dancing, the bowing of our hands, the opening of our hands and heads, raising of our hands, bowing of our heads. All these things are acts of worship in the Bible. And and a clapping, lifting hands, playing instruments. All these things reflect the glory of God. Church, we need to come back to a heart of worship as we look at the world. I'm going to tell you, the world is asking questions. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? The economy's shaking. What do we do? What do we do? Oh, my goodness, it's terrible, the decisions that are being made in government. Oh, my God, there's wars in the world. There's lack. There's famine. There's shortage. What do we do? What do we do? We come back to the heart of worship. Is that it? Has it come to that? Can't we just get more organized? Can't we overthrow the government? (laughs) There it is. Oh, there was many zealots in Jesus' day who wanted to overthrow the government, wasn't there? How'd that go for them? 
think on these things, the Lord will give you wisdom. Here we go. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let me tell you a story. I'm just going to read it to you, so just hang in there. So King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah and Israel, or Judah at that time, actually, is surrounded by the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Mennonites. Not the Mennonites, because if you're surrounded by Mennonites, they're just bringing you soup and buns. It's all good. But these were the Menuites. And so they're surrounded. They're, they're, it's not good. All these tribes are coming at them. All these vandals, this vandal horde, and they're like, you know, King Jehoshaphat's like, God, we are in trouble. What, what do you want to do here? And he calls the nation to prayer and worship. So I'm going to read to you the passage. And while I'm reading the passage, I just want you to think and listen. Because in this passage, there are 11 Hebrew words for how our body is to worship God. Okay? Let me read it to you. So everyone in Judah, so imagine they're surrounded. The enemy's there. It's not good news. 2 Chronicles 20, starting at verse 13. Everyone in Judah was there. Little children, wives, sons, all present and attentive to God. Then Jehazel was moved by the Spirit to speak from the midst of the congregation. He said, Intention, everyone, all of you from out of town and those from Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, God's word, don't be afraid. Don't pay any mind to the vandal horde. This is God's war, not yours. Tomorrow you will go up and see and meet them. They're already on their way up the slope of Ziz. You will meet them at the end of the ravine near the wilderness in Jeriel. Uh, and you won't have to lift a hand in this battle. Just stand firm, Judah and Jerusalem, and watch God's saving work take shape. Don't be afraid. Don't waver. March out boldly. God is with you. Then Jehoshaphat knelt down, bowing with his face to the ground. All of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping God. The Levites stood to their feet and they praised God, the God of Israel. They praised at the top of their lungs. They all went up early in the morning, ready to march into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they were leaving, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen, Judah and Jerusalem, listen to what I have to say. Believe firmly in God, your God, and your lives will be firm. Believe in the prophets, and you will come out on top. After talking it over with his people, Jehoshaphat appointed a choir for God, dressed in holy robes, and they were to march ahead of the troops, singing. Give thanks to God, his love endures forever. Imagine you're the choir member. Like, praise God, the troops are going out to fight. Woo! Oh, no, no. Put on a nice clean robe. You're in front of the troops. How many know you worship really hardcore in that moment? Because literally your defense is a white robe, which is just going to show all the slashes and cuts of the swords coming at you. Oh, God, <laughs> give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they did. They started shouting and praising. God set ambushes against the men of Amnon and Moab in Mount Seir, and they were attacking Judah, and, it, and they all ended up dead. The Ammonites, the Moabites, mistakenly attacked those from Mount Seir and massacred them. Then further confused, they went on each other and ended up killing each other. As Judah came up over the rise, getting ready to fight, Looking into the wilderness for the horde of barbarians, they looked on the killing field of dead bodies, not a living soul among them. When Jehoshaphat and all the people came to carry off the plunder, they found more loot than they could carry off, equipment, clothing, valuables. It took three days to cart it all away. And on the fourth day, they came together in the Valley of Blessing, Baraka, and blessed God. That's how it got its name, the Valley of Blessing. Jehoshaphat then led all the men of Judah and Jerusalem back to Jerusalem, an exuberant parade. God had given them joyful relief from their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and they came to the temple of God with all the instruments of the band playing. Talk about the greatest war victory ever. They didn't raise a sword, but God made a way. I told you there was 11 different Hebrew verbs in this text. Kadad, which means to bow in deference before. Nafal, to prostrate before. Shakan, to, fit, to, to, to pay homage to. Kum, to stand. 
halal, to boast in the Lord, shur, to sing, amar, to speak, yada, to hold out the hand and to give thanks, rini, to sing, tehillah, to sing a hymn, barak, to kneel. All of these things were done by the people of God in the midst of the greatest battle they were facing and God fought the fight for them. Amen? You know, has it not amazed you somewhat that as vegetables and fruit and things go up in price, God has provided a bountiful harvest every week? Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Amen? God's going to see us through church. See, we worship God in our bodies, our hands raised, our worship. You know, at church, I got to tell you something, church. Worship is an act of faith. Sometimes I'm going to tell you why I stand in the front row. I'm way too weak to stand in the back row. Because if I see people just kind of standing there and not worshiping, I'm kind of like, seriously, man, what's going on? God is so worthy, and he's invited you in to worship. Come just as you are. You can come and you can raise a holy hand to God. So I just have to stand in the front row, and I have to worship. It's me and an audience of one, and I'm assuming all of you are doing your own thing with God behind me. You say, well, is it really that important? Church, if you don't see God, you can't be changed. You got to see him. Worship is the gateway, the bridge that begins that experience of seeing God. I'm going to ask the band to come back now. The act of worship is an act of contemplation, meditation, focus. It leads to adoration, confession, celebration. It's when we get our eyes off ourselves and unto God who made us and the only one who can reset us to what we were always intended to be. Amen? Church, listen, you may not feel like worshiping. So what? It's an act of faith. You may not like a certain song. So what? It's not about you. Just leave that one out there, okay? Moving right along. You may be worried about the economy shaking the future for your family, for your kids, and I understand that. But you can bring that fear, that trembling before the Lord and say, God, we need you to help us right now. We need you, Lord, more than ever before. We need you, God. And I come with a heart of worship before you, Lord. Amen? So my request of all of you, is start amping up your faith muscles. Faith is a muscle and it needs to be exercised. And you exercise that on Sunday by maybe, you know, maybe just stretch it a little bit and maybe raise your hand. What will people think? It's not about you. See if you fall down dead by raising a hand today. Look around. And then if it gets awkward, just go. No, 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 keep it up, keep it up. <laughs> can we do that? Can we, can we act in faith? Because Jesus Christ has made a way for me to come. I'm a new creation, hallelujah. I've been given a new relationship. I have a new identity. I have a new purpose. Why don't you stand to your feet right now, you worshipers? Bring your body, your mind, your soul, your thoughts, your emotions right now into this moment of worship. If you're watching online, awkwardly stand in the middle of your kitchen in your pajamas with a cup of coffee. Put the coffee down and begin to raise your hand to the Lord. Amen? Okay, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I want you to live in faith. And if some of you want to come to the altar and make a dedication of your life of faith and worship, you're welcome to do that. Again, what will people think? Hmm, who cares? Amen? Pastor, lead us. Come on now. Close yourself in. Picture the Lord. Let him paint a picture before you now. 
brokenness and the needs come with faith knowing he's the only one that can change you amen let's sing this one more time to the lord before we're dismissed god bless you come on pastor let's sing it now let's have worship let's have some faith right now in the heart of god in the hearts of the people here thank you Jesus. i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you
in a shout offering. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Remember, as you go, sign up for youth camp, all you youth. If you have a young person in your life that I'm telling you, youth camp is a way to set the direction of their focus on Jesus before they go back to school. Make sure you sign up. If you haven't offered, giving an offering yet for the Walk for Water, go and make sure you do that. You can go to the church center and say, I want to give toward this incredible ministry. And remember, Deb, in your prayers, that God will heal her and raise her up. God bless you, church. Go in the grace and the peace and the power and the presence of God. Look to God this week, not to yourself, but to him. Amen and amen.